My name is Luke Hedinger. I get to be one of the pastors on staff here at Compass. So if I haven't met you yet, this that's who I am. Um, and this morning, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me. We're going to be lo- looking at Luke chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, there's those seatback uh, Bibles in, in the, a lot of the underneath the, the chairs. And it's page 1565. I think in the Brown Bibles, 1565. So that's, that's where we're going to be. And as you get there, I want to encourage you to kind of put your finger there um, and, and just pause because we're going to get there, I promise. But this morning, we're going to continue. What we're doing is we're continuing this sermon series that we've been uh, walking through, just looking at who are we as a church, looking at this is Compass. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at different postures. We've been looking at the posture uh, regarding God's word and prayer and, uh, you know, blessing and uh, social justice. And I know that's a triggering word, uh, but go back and, and watch the, the online sermons. If you're, if you're triggered right now, go watch. I think it'll calm you down. Uh, but we've been, we've been looking at these different postures. And I love, I love the idea of postures because um, I was reading this book this past week and they were talking about the different between having a certain posture and having a plan. Because lots of times in life, it's really hard to plan, especially when we think about church and because we want to engage the culture. And, and, you know, this book was talking about how who knows, who knows where the culture is going to be, like what's going to happen in our culture next year? Like who, who knows? And so, but, but when we have postures that we adopt, it's kind of like, I was thinking this morning, it's like, like a firefighter, which I know next to nothing about firefighters just what I've seen on TV, which is probably pretty accurate, right? We can always base what we know about things off TV. But, there, you know, with, with firefighters, you, from what I understand from TV, you never know when the fire is going to happen, right? And yet you have to adopt these postures that you're just ready whenever, right? You're ready when it happens. And, and, and as we talk about who are we as a church, we want to adopt certain postures so that when God works, we're able to move, right? So that when, when God is moving, we are, we're, we're following him because we have this posture of listening to him. We have this posture of, of approaching his word. We have these different postures. And this morning, the posture that I want to talk about is actually the sixth posture. I got, I got kind of off when I was looking back through. So we have six postures if you go back through and listen to the messages. But the sixth posture that we're looking at this morning is we go where Jesus leads, we go where Jesus leads. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that seems like we probably didn't have to spend a whole message on that. Like, that seems like this is a church. Yeah, we go where Jesus leads. And yet, as I, as I look through the pages of Scripture, the reason I believe that this is an important posture for us to talk about is because in Scripture, it never fails. It seems like God is more comfortable going to places that we maybe aren't. Right? Right? It seems like God's comfort zone is way bigger than ours. It's like when, uh, I remember one time I was, I was uh, hiking with my wife and some friends up in Minnesota. We were around these waterfalls, and my wife, is, she loves adventure, loves to have fun, and I'm, I'm more of a rule follower in some things. Some things I'm not, but some things I am, like especially when there's like a no trespassing sign. I'm just like, we can't, we can't, go, past, we can't go past that sign. Right? And she's like, yeah, but, but look, look right over there. That's, that's super fun. And, and, and so it's like, I, I'm like, I'm with you, but, I, you know, maybe to a point. Right? And at times we can, we can have this posture when it comes to Jesus. It's like, and, and God and our faith. And it's like, okay, I'm with you, 
but I'm with you to a point. And this morning, what we're actually going to be talking about is, is having a posture that says, we go where Jesus leads, especially, maybe not especially, but in terms of global missions. I mean, we've talked about what this looks like regionally, locally, regionally, nationally. Like there's these concentric circles. And oftentimes what happens is, yeah, we're really focused on these different places. And yet when it comes to like what God's doing around the world, it's like, well, we're just a church in Columbia. I mean, surely we don't need to worry about what's happening over there, right? Surely, I mean, somebody needs to worry about that. But I mean, that's for the super Christians, right? That's for the, the people that are like crazy, And don't really love their life. Like we'll let them go and do that. And yet what I see this morning as we look at this posture. I believe that we as a local church have a global. uh, uh, Let's let's say let me say it this way. We are invited into a global mission. We as a local church are invited into a global mission. And, and, and we need to adopt, my, my prayer is that we adopt this posture that says, Jesus, I want to go where you're leading. And as we look at Luke chapter 4, we're going to kind of look at Jesus dis- describing what that looks like and how he comes on the scene. And yet before we do that, what I want to do is look at three different ways as we think about this story, three different ways that will help us kind of adopt this posture. Okay, especially as we think about what does it mean for us as a local church to be invited into a global mission? What does that, what does that mean? What does that look like? And I think the first thing that we see throughout the pages of scripture is that we, in order to adopt this posture, we first need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a church of prayer. People, individuals, congregation of, of prayer. Jesus in Luke chapter 10 verse 2, he, he tells his disciples, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, Jesus, he's describing, he's saying, look, the, the problem isn't the harvest. It's ready. What do you say the problem is? The workers, right? The harvest is ready. It's, it's there. We just need more people to go out into the harvest field. And so what does Jesus do? He says, all right, here's a problem. So guys, go out and, and rustle up some, some workers. Is that what he says? The problem is the problem is workers, so, so let's have a missions conference and, and talk about what we need to do and how we need to approach this and all. Is that what he says? What's his answer to the problem? Pray. Pray. Ask the Lord. Isn't that crazy? So here's the problem, and what we need to do first and foremost is ask the Lord. Now what happens right after this is he sends the disciples out. So, so maybe the real lesson is be careful what you pray for. Maybe that's it. I don't believe it is. But I believe what we see here is first and foremost, if we're going to think about what does it mean Compass Church to be invited as a local church to be invited into a global mission, first thing we need to do is what Jesus says and pray. The, uh, and, and again, what, what, I, what I think happens when we, when we adopt kind of this mindset is that it helps us to align our hearts with where Jesus' heart is, right? Uh, sometimes we get so caught up in our first world problems. Like last week, I was getting frustrated because my phone wouldn't let me access the internet. And it's like, Argh! iPhone, curse you, you know? And it's like, and then it's like, oh wait, this is, this is, I mean, this is a really first world problem. 
You know, th- there are different ways. Like we can go to, you can go to joshuaproject.net uh, and, and, you know, look at how to pray for, for different people groups around the world. Um, one of the things that I was encouraged to do a long time ago, and I've done it ever since, is that I have alarms set on my phone every day to go off at 10.02. And it's just a simple reminder that says, hey, maybe it, for just a moment, it allows me to realign my heart and say, okay, how, let me pray for the people that are around the world. Let me pray for my friends who, who are overseas, who are, who are doing work. So first of all, we're invited to pray as we think about this global mission. The second thing we're invited to do as we think about this posture is we want to be a church that gives. We want to be a church that not only prays, but we want to be a church that gives. And in Romans chapter 15, this is right after Paul is talking about why he's going to the, the people who don't know Jesus yet. In Romans 15, which the whole book of Romans is like a, a missionary letter. If you read it, it's, it's pretty incredible. And Romans 15, sorry, verse 23 says, But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. He's saying, he's saying look, I'm, I'm done here. I've done the work that I feel like God's calling me to do. And now I'm going to Spain. And on my way, I want to hang out with you guys. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. See, what Paul is inviting the Romans into is, uh, hey, again, it's an invitation to a global mission, and yet the reality is not everybody is going to be, quote-unquote, goers. Not everybody is going to pull up stakes and go to Spain. Not everybody. And yet what he's inviting the church in Rome to be a part of is he is inviting them to still be a part of the mission by helping him go, by giving resources. It's, uh, there's, an, there's an illustration that I enjoy that helps me think about this is that, you know, when, when somebody is, uh, is in a well, like if somebody falls into a pit, who's the most important person? The person that, that gets a rope and goes down into it and helps them and gets them out or the people at the top of that pit holding the rope? Right? We need, we need both. And I think what Paul is talking about is he's saying, look, I'm willing to go. I, I'm, I'm answering the call to go. Will you hold the rope for me? And, and as a church, when we give, part of what we give, when, when those offering plates pass, part of what we give to is to give to people who have gone overseas. That's part of what we get. Like, uh, I think 11% of our budget goes to that. And also, there are opportunities when people come and they talk about their mission. That there are opportunities for us to say, okay, not only as a congregation are we giving, but as an individual, I want to I give to this. See, uh, for me personally, this has been a, a you know, kind of a big part of my life. I've wanted to go for a long, I'm like, I want to go. I want to have the story. I want to be the person who's like, whoa, you went to wherever. And yet like, like three different times over the, the past few years, I've tried to leave Columbia. And yet it's like, God just like keeps, thought I was out, pulled me back in, you know? And yet I realize, you know, it's like, oh, maybe I should practice what I preach. What, what, what would you know about that? Isn't that crazy? Maybe I should think, oh, yeah, it is just as important to hold the rope as it is to go. Okay, God. See, as a church, what does it look like for us to engage in this, this global mission, not only by praying, but by giving our resources? And, and the third one is going. My prayer, Compass Church, my prayer is not only that we would be a church that is praying, not only we would be a church that is 
giving, but my prayer is that as a church body, that we would be a church that is raising up leaders, that we are raising up individuals who would say, you know what, I I don't know what this looks like, I don't know what this means, but I'm willing to go. I'm, I'm willing to be the one who gets sent out. I'm willing to be the one that gets on the other end of that rope and goes down into the pit. I would absolutely love, I would love to have, have, have people coming forward and saying, hey, I, I think that might be me. What does that look like? What are the steps that, that I can take? What are we, what, what are, what's the development plan? What do we, what do we do? Because I absolutely, I want you to hear me. I love those conversations. See, I, I believe that if we are to, to accept this posture of going where Jesus leads, I, I believe that these are just, I mean, you can talk about different ways that we, can, that we can engage with this posture, but I think these are three ways that we see throughout Scripture. I mean, Matthew 20, 18 through 20 says, Therefore, all power and authority has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go. See, if, if you go to Joshua, Joshua Project, uh, which I've referenced, it's, a, it's an organization. They kind of keep their finger on the pulse for, of a lot of these things. JoshuaProject.net. They say this. It is estimated that uh, of the 7.83 billion people alive in the world today, 3.37 billion of them live in unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, what we see there, and I believe what this, what this shows us, is that the work is not yet done, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not great at math, but that's almost half the world's population lives in places where the church isn't. The work is not yet done. That we, we still, uh, yes, let's pray, let's give, and church, what would it look like for us to raise people up to go? To, for us to send people out well. All right, as, as we think about these different things, I want to I turn our attention uh, again to Luke chapter 4. And, and I want to look at what Jesus has to say about this idea of this invitation into a global mission. All right, because when, when, we, when we're saying, all right, we want to adopt this posture, saying, Jesus, I'm gonna, I'm, I want to I go where you're leading. All right, and, and okay, whether that means, whatever that means for me, I want to go where you're leading. What we see in Luke chapter 4 is we see Jesus laying out a plan and we see a group of people that, uh, you know, again, maybe like me following my wife being like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, but I'm not with you with you, right? If, if authority comes along and says, hey, why are you past that sign? And we're like, she did it. She did, I'm, <laughs> this is not me. She, she her, Right? What does it mean? What does it look like for us as a church? And, and how, do we, how do we continue to engage this? So if you, if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 4, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we, as we read Luke chapter 4. And we're going to start with just going to uh, from verse 16 to 22. Just stand in honor of God's word. It says this, Luke 4, sorry, verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Let's stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, as we look at your word, I pray, God, that you would give me words to speak. I pray that you would give us hearts to receive, ears to, ears to hear, God, and, and just help us as a church. Help us to, uh, to, to see and respond to this invitation that you've given us. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. A little bit of the context here. Jesus, he's starting his earthly ministry. Right before this, he's baptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He, he gets uh, led out into the wilderness and uh, for 40 days being tempted. And now he's coming and he's doing different miracles and he's going throughout these different places and he goes back to his hometown and he goes into the synagogue, which is kind of the place of worship for the Jewish people. And he goes into the synagogue and they, they hand him the scroll. It's like they, they hear about what's going on with Jesus' ministry. They hear about all the things that are happening and now he's back home. You know, so they give him the scroll and it says that he stands up, which was the custom. He stood up and he found the place in Isaiah. And actually he's reading from Isaiah 61 and he's kind of, uh, I think it's Isaiah 58. He's kind of putting those two together, which is kind of par for the course for rabbis back then to, to kind of uh, present or, or focus on a different point. And he stood up and he found the place and he begins to read. And as he's reading, he's reading just the, uh, about the anointed one. And anointed means Messiah. It means sent one. And he's reading about the sent one. And he's reading about all this good news stuff. I mean, if you read it again, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. So that anointed, it's the word Messiah, sent one. He's saying the Lord has anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. Like, sweet, I'm poor. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Sweet. I mean, what the, these people that are listening to this, they have lived under uh, foreign occupation for hundreds of years. At the, at the current time of this reading, they're under the occupation of the Roman Empire. So they don't have, their land is not their land. They're, they don't really have freedom. I mean, the Romans give them a level of freedom, but they don't really have freedom. And so they've lived under oppression for hundreds of years. And now they hear Jesus saying, uh, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And they're like, oh, that's me. I'm oppressed. And he says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor, um, if, you, if you read in the Old Testament law, uh, every seven years there was the year of Jubilee where the land is kind of uh, supposed to just have rest and there's a, it's just a time of rest. And then every seventh, seventh year, it's like every 50th year it uh, works out. I, I don't know. I'm not good at math. But like every 50th year, it's the, the, the Jubilee of Jubilees. Where with the year, and it's called the year of the Lord's favor. And the year of the Lord's favor, if you look in Leviticus uh, 25, it talks about how all the land, like if, if you fell into uh, hardship, if you, if you don't have your money, the crops were bad, and you have to sell your land to make ends meet, the year of Jubilee, you get that land back. You, you get reestablished in the community. You get set free if you're, if you're a person uh, that that's, has sold yourself into slavery to pay your bills. All these things get set right. 
in the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus is, is referencing this and what he says as he, as he rolls the scroll up, as he hands it back, what, and he looks at them and it says, everybody's eyes were fixed on him. He's, he's reading all these different things. They're like, what's he going to say next? And what's he say? This has been fulfilled in your hearing. <sighs> it says right after that, everybody's speaking well of him. Well, yeah, everybody's speaking well of him, right? Everybody's speaking well of him. This is good news. This is good news. And what they're doing, they're looking at this and they're saying, oh my goodness, I am so excited because finally God is coming through on his plan. Finally, I've been so oppressed and I can't understand. I have so many questions as to, as to why this is happening. Why me? Why am I being oppressed? Why am I feeling all these different things? And finally, God is coming through with the promises that he made to his people. He says, this has been fulfilled, fulfilled in your hearing. But he doesn't stop there. I mean, they're, they're at a high. They're loving this. But he doesn't stop there. He, he goes on. If you read in verse 23, Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there... And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. You know, as we read that, I don't know if you're anything like me. Oh, okay, cool. Elijah, Elisha, they're cool. I like their Old Testament stories. Okay, great. Look at their response. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They were furious. Another translation, I think it's the ESV, says they were filled with wrath. Verse 29 says, They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Okay, I, I, think, this is, we, I think sometimes we need to slow down as we're reading Scripture and ask the question, what? Right? We go, we go from seeing Jesus like he's proclaiming all these awesome things, freedom and, and healing and wholeness and all these things. He's saying, this has been fulfilled and you're here. And what is he saying? He's saying, the one that you've been waiting for to set things right is here. I've come. I'm here. And then he starts to, like, it's like, okay, Jesus, know when to stop. Right? You had him. Know when to stop. Because then he says all these different things about Elijah and Elisha. And people, they, they go from speaking well of him to wanting to throw him off a cliff. I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if I've ever experienced such a swing of emotions. Right? And, and yet we have to ask the question, okay, why? why? Why did they go from, oh, man, this is awesome. Jesus, oh, hometown kid, all, you know, all that to, let's, where's a cliff to throw him off of? We just got to get him out of our lives. We got to silence this guy. We have to look at what he does because what he does, he's saying, look, this is who I am, the one you've been waiting for. And as he talks about Elijah and Elisha, what he's doing is he's saying, and this is where I'm going. This is what my ministry is going to look like. Uh, he, he uses, first of all, he uses the example of Elijah. Now, who can tell me about Elijah? Do you, you remember the story of Elijah? What's that? 
Yeah, yeah. He challenges the, the prophets of, of Baal. Like he has the incredible thing on Mount Carmel. I love that story because Elijah's like, I mean, he's a trash talker. Man after my own heart, right? He, like if you, if you remember the story, he's kind of like sick of the Israelites going back and forth, worshiping Baal, worshiping God, worshiping Baal. And he's like, whatever. We're, we're settling this today. It's like, let's go on the court and let, you know, let's see if you can put your money where your mouth is. Right? And so they get all the prophets of Baal together, and there, you know, he's like, all right, let's see who, who, which God will respond, and that God will be the God. And so the prophets of Baal, they make their altar, and they're, they're dancing around it, they're crying out to Baal, and hours go by, and they start to get desperate, and they're cutting themselves, and they're, they're screaming even louder, and, and Elijah, it's so funny, because, because he's like, hey, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe, maybe he's not like one of those people that has the phone by their bathroom, you know, like he doesn't have a cell phone that he can just, you know, he's on the toilet and, oh, I'm sorry, I missed your call. Like, Elijah's giving them a hard time. He's saying, oh, maybe he can't hear you. Like, oh, you should yell a little louder. And then they just, they, they get spent. They're, they're, they're done. And then Elijah, he's like, all right, my turn. He's like, let's make this interesting. Gets a bunch of water, pours it on his altar. If you want the altar to catch fire, the thing you probably shouldn't do is douse it in water, right? But he put so much water on it that they had dug a moat around it that the moat filled up with water, right? And then he just prays a simple prayer. Hey, God, would you show up? Would you show them that you're really God? And then what happens? Fire. Fire so hot that it even burned up the water in the moat. I mean, God just showed up. And then, and then he brings his people back to God. He's, he is, Elijah is a sent one of God, an anointed one of God. And as Jesus describes this hero of the Israelite people, of the Jewish people, what's he say? There were many, there were many widows in Israel during this, during this famine time. And Elijah was sent to none of them but who? It says that that's a good, that's a, yeah, it's a good, good answer. Usually that's right. Yet Elijah, it says, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now what he's talking about there is he's saying, all these people were in need. Who did this sent one of Israel, this, this anointed one, who did he go to? A Gentile. A person who was outside of the people of God, a person who was outside of my box, a person who, who I, I, you know, it's like I don't have a, I don't know how to reach those people, you know, those people that are outside of God's reach. He says, yeah, there were a lot of people in need, and yet this sent one of God was sent to somebody outside. And then not only did he talk about Elijah, but he talks about Elisha. And the way I remember that Sha comes after Juz, S comes after J, right? And Elisha is another incredible prophet of God. Right? He, we read in the Old Testament that he even got a double portion of Elijah's spirit, which I don't know how that works. Mystery, right? But it's pretty cool. And Elisha, there's all these different stories of him too. Like he, he is a sent one of God to bring, uh, bring people wholeness and healing and bring people back to God. And he says, Elisha, there were many people, uh, many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Now, if you, if you remember the story, Naaman was a Syrian general. And, and I don't know if you remember, do you remember Naaman had leprosy? He was this, he was this really, it says that he was a, a really a successful general. And so he was an enemy of God's people and he gets leprosy. And you think as you're reading the story, it's like, yeah, 
That's, that's what he deserved. He's an enemy of God's people. He needs to get leprosy. And then who does he hear about this guy, this Elisha in Israel? Who does he hear about? Oh, there's a guy in Israel that could help you. Who tells him that? Do you remember? A slave girl, right? A Jewish slave girl. Okay, we, we need to understand that, that sometimes when we read these stories, it's like, what? So, so an enemy of God's people who is a person who's enslaving God's people, goes to a sent one of God to receive healing. And Jesus says, there were a lot of people who had leprosy and yet Elisha healed Naaman, the enemy of God. What is, what is Jesus doing? I believe what he's doing is, first of all, he's saying, look, I am the sent one. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. But what does it look like for me to be sent? Where am I going? See, they understood that what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I'm going to people that you might see as enemies. I'm going to people that might be outside of your box. I'm going to people that, that maybe you'll never see. You don't think they should be healed. You don't think they should have all this stuff. See, what, what the, the Israelites, what the Jewish people here forgot that Jesus is describing, he's saying, look, I am the one who sent, and here's where I'm going. They forgot and a very important thing about their entire existence. If you read in Genesis 12, 12 2, we're not going to turn there, but you can write it down and walk, look at it later. In Genesis 12 2, God shows up to a man named Abram and tells Abram, hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make your uh, descendants as many as the sands on the shores and the stars in the sky. And then at the end of verse 2, there's an important phrase that comes right after that promise. Do you remember what it is? He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great so that. So that you will be a blessing. I'm going, to make your, I'm going to make you into a great nation so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. You see, Abram was blessed by God, but for a purpose. And in uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Craig talked about Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So let's just pray. So what, what we're talking about in that song, and it's the same thing that Paul talks about in Galatians, is that if we are people of faith, then we are blessed along with the blessing of Abraham. What are the implications of that? That we are children of Abraham. That we are blessed with the blessing of Abraham. See, what we forget is that in the same way that the Jewish people were blessed with a so that, we are blessed with a so that. There is a purpose in our blessing. See, and when we forget that, when we forget that, it's almost like, uh, and if this is you, no judgment, that's, this, everybody has their thing, but, you know, I just have never understood this. People who collect toys, never really understood that. You know, it's like people who, it's like, oh, this toy, it's in this box, and look at this box, I'm going to put it on this shelf, and oh, it'll stay mint, and oh, great, look at it, and it's like, I don't want to look at it. I want to play with it, right? I mean, it's like we forget, you know, and again, if that's you, no judgment. I'd love to come see your toys and maybe I'll sneak behind you and play with them. But, but the, I think we forget that the purpose of a toy is not to put on a shelf. Purpose of a toy is to play with. And again, maybe you disagree with me, totally fine. But in the same way, these people that Jesus is talking to forgot 
That there is a purpose to their blessing. There's a purpose to their entire existence. And Jesus is saying, this is where I'm going. I'm going to the nations. And in that, he gives an invitation to them saying, hey, this is where I'm going. And guess what? I'm inviting you to come with me. So I think oftentimes we can fall into the same trap that these people fell into. We can look at our big buildings and we can look at the resources we have and, and it's almost like that toy on the shelf that has the, has the pristine box and we dust every now and then and it's like, oh, look at the box. It's like, yeah, I think that's, a, that's kind of a tragedy. See, when, when we forget, when we forget that the things that we've been given are tools with which we are to bless the nations, it turns into a tragedy. When we get so focused on the tools and keeping the tools nice and upkeep of the tools and, and all these different things and forget that that tool has a purpose, it's a tragedy. And what Jesus is doing in this moment, he's saying, look, I'm encouraging you to follow me into something deeper to something bigger, to something more. And what was their response? Wrath. Anger. They, they didn't like those people. They, you know, again, it's like, okay, I, I'll follow you, but I don't know if I want to follow you that far. I'll say yes to you, but just can you give me a map to where that is going to lead us? See, Compass Church, my prayer for us as we think about what does it look like to have this posture is that we would be people who are engaging, as I said earlier, that we are people who are praying for the nations. We are people who are praying for, for those uh, we love who, who are overseas, who are working with these unreached people groups. That we would be people who are lifting others up in prayer. That our hearts would be aligned with that. That we would be people who are giving towards, towards this greater purpose, this, this greater mission. We would be giving towards that. And not only that, but we would be people who are saying, God, are you inviting me to, to go? I don't know what I think about that. I don't know what that would look like for me. See, my prayer is that as a church, we would, we would have this posture that we would say, okay, Jesus, I see where you're leading. And I think I'm willing to go with you. I want to I land the plane here because this whole thing has reminded me of, of the story in Mark chapter 10 of the rich young ruler. Right, we're all familiar with that story where this guy, it says in Mark chapter 10, this guy runs up to Jesus and he's super excited and he tells Jesus, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the uh, eternal life? What must I do to get into the kingdom of heaven? He's saying, hey, I, you look good. You're doing some awesome things. You probably know. So what do I got to do to be good? And, and, you know, and Jesus, he, he has this dialogue and you can go back and read it. But he has this dialogue and he says, well, you know the, you know the rules, you know the commandments. And, and he goes through a few of them and the guy's like, Whoop! Got it? I'm good, right? I've, I've been doing that ever since a kid. I'm, I'm, so you're telling me I'm in. And it says, Jesus looked at him. And do you, know, do you remember what, he says, what it says next? He looked at him and loved him. And then he says, ah, one thing you lack. Go sell all that you have and follow me. See, we, we look at that story and all too often we look and be like, wow, Jesus wants us to sell all our stuff. He wants us to be poor and to be, to be poor, that really means I'm holy. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's inviting this rich young man into is a deeper relationship with him. What he's inviting him into, he's saying, look, I'm going to be clear about where I'm going. 
And what I'm offering you is an invitation to come with me. And the question is, church, we have that invitation, and what will our response be? As we're praying, as we're giving, and as we're going, what is our response going to continue to be? We, missions has been a big part of this church. And my prayer is that we will continue in that, that we will see more, see God doing more, see God stirring up more, that we as individuals in a congregation, even as we pray right now, that we would pray with open hands and say, God, what do you have for me in this? One, of the, one quote, I, I love this from an author who's done a lot of work overseas, and he writes a lot about, about missions, Stephen Hawthorne. He says, you can do something other than working with God and his purpose, but it will always be something lesser, and you couldn't come up with something better. So would, you, would you pray with me? God, God my, I, we just come before you. We come before you this morning, God, humbly, uh, knowing, knowing that as a local church, God, we know that you're inviting us into this global, global mission. And God, I don't know what that looks like. There are so many things, so many ways that we can approach this. But God, I pray that, that as we seek to continue to be a church that prays, God, I pray that you would, that you would lay different people groups on our hearts and minds that you would lay different workers, different missionaries on our hearts and minds as we pray, that you, would, that you would help us to realize that so many of the things we get caught up in, there's just more to the story than that. And God, I pray that, that you would help us to be a church that's not only praying, but giving and, and being generous and holding that rope for people as they go out. And not only that, but God, I pray, would you raise up people from among this congregation that are willing to go? that are willing to be on the other side of that rope, going into places where the church is not yet. God, how would you invite us into this? And I pray, I pray, God, that you would protect us from, from a response like what we read. God, help us to have this posture that we are wanting to go where you're leading. And it's in your name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.